right. Good morning, church. <clears throat> Great to be with you guys today and all of our campuses joining us right now. We are going to continue our march through the book of Nehemiah, the first six chapters. And uh, man, if you've not been with us yet during this series, you, you, the best way to understand the ancient book of Nehemiah from the Old Testament is that it's like a memoir. It, it, it is the, uh, the prayer journal of Nehemiah that he wrote down. And then God preserved that for us in his word. And it is an amazing story. So the people of God and their heavenly father, right, interact in a way that we can observe in the Bible. And God had to discipline his children like you and I have to discipline ours. And the people of Israel were drifting away from God. So in order to discipline them, he allowed an outside group of people, the Babylonians, to come and take them over, destroy the city of Jerusalem, the walls, the temple, tore it to the ground, and took about 90% of the people, the Jewish people, into exile and into slavery, okay? And that went on for 80 years until the Persians came and made war against those Babylonians and beat them. So the next morning, the Jewish people woke up to a new boss, and that was the Persians. And back in Jerusalem, everything is still a mess. Now, 100 years have gone by, and those those 10%-ish of those Jewish people that were left, that hid in the woods and all that, they came back, and they've been living there all those years, but they've not been able to fix anything. The walls are still torn down. It's still a total mess. And Jerusalem and its people are a laughingstock in the ancient world. They're nothing. They're economically in shambles. They're psychologically in shambles. It's a total wreck. And those walls still lay in ruins. And in the ancient world, if you didn't have a wall, you were a joke. You had no defense system. You couldn't protect yourself. And no one took you seriously. And no one would want to do business with you because you're a joke. And so Nehemiah, a Jewish man, has grown up back in Persia in exile. He's never even been to Jerusalem. But we found out over the first two weeks that Nehemiah is one of the most godly men in the entire Old Testament. This guy is a theologian. He knows the word of God. He prays way back in the Old Testament the way Jesus is going to teach us to pray in the New Testament. So like, he's one of my heroes, man. I look at this guy and I go, I could model my spiritual life after Nehemiah's. And so Nehemiah in Persia had become the cupbearer to the king. That means he's got a really nice job, good pension, everything's good to go. He, uh, he set up, got a good government job, you know what I'm saying? And Nehemiah is going to risk all of that. Because he hears word that Jerusalem is still a mess and he loves God and he lives life on God's plans, not his own. And he risked everything he had after praying for days. He went to the king and said, King, I need to know if you'll let me go to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls. And we learned that when you act according to God's plans, God provides. When you live life according to your own plans, guess whose job it is to provide? You you got to provide for yourself. But when you do things God's way, he will provide for you, and he provides. And the king surprisingly says, you can go to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls. No, by the way, here is the Persian Home Depot card. It has a limitless account. Go get whatever you need, and here's some letters that will make everyone let you pass through so you can get to the city, and it will give you authority. It's kind of the badge, if you will, of Persia. He gives them everything he needs because God provided, and isn't that awesome? And then last week we saw that Nehemiah went to the city he had never been to because to lead something, you got to get personal with it. So he went and looked at the mess himself. He got on the ground, kind of like a president's going to come in and look at a hurricane disaster site. It's always powerful that they show up. Nehemiah had to go and look at it himself. And then last week we saw his speech. 
he finally takes it to the people, those people that have been looking at those walls all that time. And he says, guys, we, we can't just let it stay this way. So in verse 18, it says, I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good and also the words the king has spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. And here's something I love about Nehemiah. Yes, he prayed a lot. And then he prayed some more. But once he had clarity from God on what it was he was supposed to do, he did it. Nehemiah is a book of action. And you write this down. Only talk that actually leads to action matters in the end. Have you ever been in a meeting where you're like, can we please stop talking and let's start doing? You ever been in one of those where everybody just want to talk it to death? Or... Have you ever been that person, maybe we all have, where you actually hide under prayer, where you go, we just need to keep praying about it. There's some things you don't have to pray about. Like once God gives you clarity, just do it. Just do what he tells you to do. You do know that whatever God has been clear about, you don't have to pray about that. Just do it. Like so when, when someone comes to me, I used to be a student pastor back in the day, all right? Kids would come in and I'd always go like this. Kid come in and go, Pastor Chris, uh, I'm thinking about dating this girl, man. Oh, yeah? Oh, man, she's awesome, man. She's awesome. Kind of doing like this, shifting around. And I'd say, well, man, where'd she go to church? she go to our church? And then they kind of take that pause, and I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't know, man. She, uh, she's not a believer. And I would look at it, but I'm praying. Man, I'm really praying about whether I should date her. And I would always go, you don't have to pray about that one. God's already been clear about this, pal. I'm sorry. You know, we're not doing missionary dating here, okay? So you just pray, and, and, and you can pray for God to give you strength to, to, to pray that she'll come to Jesus. But the Bible's real clear not to be unequally yoked. I don't think that's going to be a good idea. And, and you don't need to pray about that. You don't have to pray. Like if you're at work and you're going, should I share my faith with the people I work with? Hello? <laughs> Captain Obvious. Why do you think God put you there? I had someone come in one time and say, I've been working next to this person for five years, and I'm just praying, God, do you want me to share my faith with them? I was like, yes, today. You should have done it five years ago. Like, first two weeks, you should have gotten to that point, right? Hey, how are you doing? Good. Nice to meet you. I'm a Christian. You want to know Jesus? You know, that, let's get to it, right? I get you got to warm up, but I love that Nehemiah doesn't pray forever about the wall. He prays. He gets permission from the king. He takes his time doing that, but once he has clarity, let's go. And then he looks at the wall, and he doesn't spend two years looking at the wall. He's like, okay, it's a mess. Let's fix it. Now, all of those people had been sitting there looking at the wall torn down for 100 years, generations. And let me tell you why this is important, because we get comfortable with the ruins. And they decided, well, this is who we are. We don't have a temple anymore. We don't have walls. Who we are, we're a joke. It's just who we are, and you get used to it. And it takes someone coming in going, this isn't who we're supposed to be. And isn't it interesting that all it took was one guy to say, let's rebuild the wall, and they're ready. And some of us, you, you might not realize it, but your families need leadership. Our churches need leadership. It is time that we take action as churches, as people, right? So let's stop talking about it and take action. I love that Nehemiah does that. And now we get into chapter 3. And let me tell you, if you read chapter 3 on your own, you'll think, how in the world would you preach a sermon out of that? Because chapter 3 is an organizational chapter. It literally is Nehemiah telling you who did what and where. Now, why would that be important for us to learn? Well, because in the Old Testament, 
the people of Israel were God's representation on the earth. And in many ways, covenantally, they, they still are in many ways. But there's been an addition. The church now also represents God on the earth. And so we observe, let me tell you, one of the many things that are important about reading the Old Testament is that we believe that one of God's attributes is that he does not change. He never changes, which means that the same God who dealt with his people this way in Nehemiah deals with us the same way. And his expectations for his people in Nehemiah are his expectations for us. He still expects that we be people of action and that we take care of business and that we get to work and that we work together. And so that's why when we look at what Nehemiah did under God's direction, we realize we can learn so much. So I'm going to read to you four verses that will tell you how the whole chapter looks. And let's observe some things. Here we go. <clears throat> so everybody said, let's get to work. So Nehemiah said, let's go. They all get a shovel. They all get a hammer. And then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. Hit the pause button. The first people that grabbed the shovels. This is a theocracy, meaning the priests are the wealthiest, most powerful, highest ranking people in Jerusalem. And they're the first ones to grab the shovels and get their hands dirty. How about, wouldn't everything look better in our country if everybody was willing to do that? Politicians need to go read Nehemiah, amen? So the first ones to do it was the rich guys and the powerful guys. What do you think that did for everyone else? When everyone else saw them take their robes off, put on some work gloves, grab a shovel and say, let's go. Let's do it. It was them. And they got to work. And I love that Nehemiah writes down that first. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of Henanel. And next to him, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, Zakur, the son of Imri, built. The sons of Hassanah built the fish gate. They laid its beams. They set its doors, its bolts, its bars. Next to them, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, the son of Hakaz, repaired. And next to them, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, son of Meshezebel, repaired. And next to them, Zadok, the son of Bana, repaired. And I just got to tell you that I just rolled through those names and I've been practicing for two weeks and I got it. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Now I'm telling you, man, guys in the South, you know, it's hard for us to get some of these names, right? The accents and all. What do you see here when you observe it? You observe this. It's beautiful. A large group, because the whole chapter goes on that way. A large group of people with various gifts and resources and status all contributed to building this wall in Jerusalem. Everyone got involved. The rich guys and the poor guys, the farmers and the priests, everyone got their hands dirty with it. Everyone grabbed a shovel. Everyone got going. It didn't matter if the week before they had been the most powerful or the least powerful. Everyone got out there together and started building the wall. That is a beautiful thing. And we're going to find that it perfectly intersects with the, the New Testament idea for the way churches are supposed to be. I love that right now our Robertsdale campus is joining us. Guys, when all of us were still asleep in our beds, at 4.30 this morning, a group of people in Robertsdale, Alabama, with three circle, descended upon that high school in Robertsdale and began to set up for hours 
and, and everyone got involved. And some people set up the coffee and other people have more expertise and they set up video screens and cameras and people started warming up on guitars and getting ready. And in about two and a half hours, a whole church basically gets built every Sunday morning at Robertsdale to the glory of God. And it would not work if everyone didn't help. That's how it works. So everyone contributed. This idea is throughout the Bible of all of us working together. Many hands makes a heavy load lighter, doesn't it? The idea is clear in Ecclesiastes when Solomon, writing his wisdom books, said this. A man might prevail against one who is alone. Two will withstand him, but a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Now, the idea here is that yet, you, if you choose to live life as a loner, as a lone ranger type person, you might get some things done. You won't get as much done. It won't be as effective. It won't be as good. And so Ecclesiastes is teaching you this design that God made for us. Look, we were not meant to live life as single strands. Too easy to break. Too easy to, for the enemy to pick you off. Haven't you ever watched National Geographic? Lions are smart, man. The lions sit back in the bushes, and here comes a big bunch of antelope, right? They're looking at them. All right, there they are. Delicious. You can tell they're looking at each other. Looks good, doesn't it? But they, they don't jump immediately because they know if they go at the whole herd, it's too much work. Lions are like, I don't want to work. They sit back because they always know in every group of antelope, there's always one stupid antelope. There's always one. The rest of them are in a bunch. They're looking around. But you always know the camera guy gets on the one. You see the one. It's like, I'm good to go. I don't need to stay with everybody. I'm cool, man. I'm an individual. The single strand antelope, right? And he keeps easing out. And all the lines are like, hey, hey, there he is. And they just look. And they just wait until little guy gets on out here. And then it's time. And the lion turns. Y'all know the rest of the story, right? Lion grabs him. And you know, the rest of the antelope, none of them ever go back and help. They're always like, well, there's another one. Sorry. Told Charlie for years to stop leaving the group, you know? <laughs> the Bible tells us that we're supposed to stay together. You were designed not to live life alone. You won't get a lot done for God's glory living life like this. Your marriage, there's people that are married that live 20 years still like this instead of actually uniting with their spouse. Let me tell you, life is better together, okay? And so the Bible's telling you that, that when a rope has many cords, it's much, much stronger. Like, this is how we want three circle to look right here. Nehemiah knew that he could not build the wall by himself. So he goes to the people that are there, and he's like, guys, we got a big job to do. We can do it if we'll all get involved. And he built a multi-stranded rope. It had lots of different people, lots of different gifts. And they get done in about 50-something days what couldn't get done in 100 years because they worked together. But too many of us are so individualistic that we won't actually put our hands to the work of God. Jesus looks at the disciples in the New Testament and he says, look, the harvest is white. Like it's time to go. Let's go. And I think he says that to us. And just think about this. The son of God himself, if anyone could have lived a single-stranded life, it would have been Jesus. Jesus could have been the one to come and go, it's, I'm going to do this by myself. The first thing Jesus did before he even started preaching publicly is he got him a group of guys. Think about that. He had a group. Because God doesn't mean for us. Did you know at Three Circle, we have a, I'm going to let you in on some inside information. There's three things that I hope and that we hope that every person at our church, no matter who you are, how old or young, 
or what campus you are at, we want this for you, okay? Number one, it's three things. We want every person to worship with other believers together at least one time a week. So we believe that's biblical. Do not forsake the gathering of yourselves together. So that's one. And if we can get you to do all three of these, we know this, we have put your Christian life in overdrive if we can get these three things to happen. All right, so we want you to worship together with believers once a week. Number two, we want you to get in some kind of Christian community consistently. We've built a system for that called small groups. We're not saying that's the only way to do it. I grew up in Sunday school. My church had Sunday school. But we didn't build educational space at, at our campuses for the most part. So, so we, we do, though. We have incredible uh, educational space for Sunday school, and it's called Your Houses, all right? And we're thankful for you giving us that square footage. So, uh, so we do in-home small groups for the most part. We believe that if we can get you in one of those groups, that you'll grow in Christ faster, stronger, better because we're getting you with other believers. That's the dirt in which disciples grow. And so that's two. And then if we can get you to do the third one, and it is serve somewhere. If I can get you in worship once a week, in a group, and get you serving somewhere on mission, like you find what your gifts are and you begin to contribute to the overall life of Three Circle Church, then you will never come to me and say, I just feel so disconnected here at such a big church. You will not ever say those words if you're doing those three things. You're going to grow in Jesus. You're going to have joy. You're going to grow in your faith because of that. Let me tell you, my wife and I will never ask you to do something we don't do. Every Wednesday night, I'm in a small group. Okay, Now, my small group is made up of women and men, married couples. We're all kind of the same age, and we live a lot of the same stage of life. And we, I got a cord, man, of people. My brothers in that group, they make fun of me on Sundays. Can you believe this? We're so close that I'll start getting, like, they make jokes about my sermons and stuff. So, like, I'm not Mr. Preacher when I walk in there. I'm just one of the guys, and we have a lot of fun. But we don't just have fun. We, we've cried together, and we've prayed for each other. I know that, it, that, and I have, when I really need accountability, they'll give it to me. Like if, if it looked like I was trying to drive my marriage off the cliff, these brothers, I'm convinced, would physically assault me. You know what I'm saying? Like they would drag me out back. We're about to have a conversation, you know, because look, we're all easy to pick off like this. This is real hard for Satan to break. And that's why we believe here in community. And we also have a mission Nehemiah had a wall to build, and we have a world to reach. Nehemiah had a wall to restore, and we have broken people to restore in Christ. We have a mission, and we can't do it alone. We need every single one of us to get involved, whether it's an initiative or whether it's week to week doing what God wants us to do in the world. It takes us all. Now, we all have a little Lone Ranger syndrome, though. Let me tell you what it really is. When you want to do it all on your own, you think it's heroic, it's not. It's actually selfish, not heroic. It would have been selfish for Nehemiah to not get the people involved. He could have easily said, these people have been looking at this wall for 100 years, they can't help. But they were ready to help. They needed someone to lead them. Not only that, it's much more costly to try to go at it alone instead of doing it together. More lonely and less fun. Let me tell you something, the Christian life is supposed to be fun. I, it really is. It's hard, but it's so fun. When you do it with others. If you talk to the people who serve at Three Circle, they will tell you they're having fun. They enjoy, they get to know people when they do that. And frankly, it's self-centered and not God-glorifying. It doesn't glorify God. Nehemiah wouldn't have glorified God going, I'll build this wall myself because he would have never gotten it built. The heroes of Three Circle Church are so often 
not people on stages, but people just using their gifts. This morning I was, before our first gathering at the Fairhope campus, I uh, was walking through our preschool area. I just hadn't walked through there in a while on a Sunday morning. And there's this couple in there, and they're a married couple, and they're getting their room ready. So I stopped in to talk to them, thanking them for what they do. And the lady said to me, she said, oh, we've been doing this for five years. We've been serving these little kids and get our room ready every week, and it's about 7.30 in the morning for five years. And I was like, man, that's awesome. And she said, but today's our last day. I was like, oh, man, really? <laughs> First day I come through here is your last day. She has our last day here. She said, we've been praying about it for a couple of months, and next week will be our first Sunday at the Robertsdale campus because we actually live out that way. So we've decided that we are going to go and do exactly what we do here there. And then we laughed. I was like, so you're going to get up like two hours earlier, right? She said, I know, I know. But we can't wait, and we're going to do what we've been doing here. We're going to do it there for little kids in Robertsdale because we feel like God's called us. And I was like, wow. You know, I've always said here at Three Circle, nobody's, nobody's na- no person's name is ever going to go on a sign here because it's all about Jesus. But if we were going to put someone's name on a sign, it'd be that couple I met this morning. You know what I mean? Who are these people? They've been taking care of kids for five years, you know? Because, and so many of you are that way. Some of you lead small groups. You get your house ready week after week. Some of you just stand in a lobby and hand out. You do know that people can park on their own. Like, like we, we know you could park, you know? Those people out in that parking lot are there to show you the love of Jesus because that team meets and prays every Sunday morning and they say the first face we intend for this community to see is our smiling faces. And yes, we'll help you get, we'll help people not get run over, but I want every, I've had some of them tell me, I want when they get out of their car to, to know that we care about them before, before they ever get in the building, man. I can't tell you how awesome that is, the body of Christ. Now, that's not just a Nehemiah thing. That's a New Testament thing too. See, God has designed the church to work together to accomplish his mission. It takes all of us, and we need each other. And it's a beautiful thing to be a part of a local church. Paul wrote to the Ephesians, with this same multi-corded rope concept, he said, rather, speaking truth and love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. That's mature. We're supposed to be getting more mature as Christians. You know what I'm saying? I mean, look, it's cute when little kids are immature. It's cute when they, when they do little boy things and little girl things, and we're like, oh, isn't that cute? Little Billy smack little Joey, you know? It's, it's cute. They're kids. But you know what? A 25-year-old that still acts like he's eight years, that's not cute anymore, right? When a 23-year-old acts like he's four, that's not cute anymore, right? So we are supposed to grow up in Jesus. Well, Paul makes the argument that one of the quickest ways to grow in Christ is together. There's a together part of Christianity. And it says here we're to grow up from the whole body, joined and held together by every joint, which is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow. See that? When we all work properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So what we see here is this a part of our Christian growth, this togetherness. Believers grow closer together in community and mission as we grow up in Christ. Nehemiah is not just building a wall in Jerusalem. He's building a community 
a community that had been torn down. Its psychology was messed up. Its beliefs were messed up. It wasn't confident anymore. So what do you think is going to happen in the next 50 few days when they build that wall together and they're looking? How do you think the farmers now see the priest that got on the wall and built with them? And how do you think the high and mighty priest now feel about old Joe and Uncle Jeb that used to be out on the hay baler out back, out there with them every day? You know what it did for that community? They became together again. They appreciated one another again. They cared about one another again. It mattered to them. That's the beauty of Nehemiah, and it's the beauty of the church as well. It matters to us. It was a beautiful thing that happened. It's a beautiful thing that Nehemiah led. First Corinthians, Paul continues his argument. He says, now there are varieties of gifts. Aren't you thankful that we all have a variety of gifts? You have gifts I don't have. People that can build stuff, like, like physically build things, just Blows my mind. My grandfather could, could tear something down and build it back. You know what I could do? Hold the flashlight for him. And the only time he really ever yelled at me is when I held a flashlight for him. Because my attention span, after a few minutes, I'm holding the light, holding the light, and then suddenly, oh, a squirrel. You know what I mean? I'm thinking of other things. And he knew it when it happened. He'd be like, Chris, Chris, light, light, Chris, light. You know, oh, my bad, right? One of the most daunting jobs in human history is a young man holding a light for his grandfather. You wouldn't want to walk in a house I built. I got a brother-in-law. He can build anything, man. And you know what I do? I hand him the hammer. You know what I'm saying? Here's the hammer here. I just, how do you do that? It's awesome, right? But you know what? God has given me some gifts. I got a big mouth. My grandmother told me as a kid one time, she looked at me one time, she said, son, you could talk the horns off of a billy goat. And I'm still not sure if that was a compliment or not. Okay. But I bring whatever God put in my hands to the table, and you should too. What has God put in your hands? What do you have? Some of you, frankly, I'm going to be straight up with you here, unapologetically. Some of you are rich. You're just rich. You're that guy that just knows how to make money. You, you walk out back and sneeze, and a hundred grand shows up. You always buy the land at the right time. You always have the story. Yep, bought this piece of property for $10,000. Found out a few weeks later, it's worth $2 million. It's amazing. You're that guy. You do know that God gave you that. And you're supposed to leverage that for the glory of God. And if he gave you a big mouth, then talk for the glory of God. And if you're a brilliant organizational person, use it for the glory of God. And if you know how to make a five-year-old feel like the most special five-year-old in the world, then get in a kid's room and leverage that gift for God. Because when I was five years old, a sweet, sweet lady who could make five-year-olds feel awesome led my little Sunday school class, and she made me want to memorize scripture, and she made me look forward to getting to church every Sunday morning at five years old. She taught me how to love Jesus. And when I get to heaven, I'm going to find that lady and thank her for using her gift for the glory of God. She did it for me. We all bring our unique thing. It says here, there's a variety of service, but the same Lord. There's a variety of activities, but the same God who empowers them all. See, we all have a unique contribution to make. Nehemiah had all these guys, and they all contributed. And the wall got built. We have unique contributions to make. One of the worst things that could ever happen at Three Circle be for this church to be built on one man, one personality, one preacher, one uh, gift, one talent. 
Mm-mm. No, no. This is Three Circle Church. I'm not the first pastor this church had. I won't be the last. Hopefully it's going to be a long time, but I'm going to get really old one day, and y'all are going to be like, man, he's starting to slip. And, and when, when y'all figure that out, I'm going to go another 15 years after that. <laughs> You'll get another guy. That's okay. That's okay because we're not building this thing. There's a lot of great preachers at our church already, a lot of great teachers and communicators. I'm so thankful. One of our new staff members spoke this week for our uh, men's event. This incredible communicator that's at our Daphne campus, Pastor Jonathan Duke. I started getting texts. Man, he's killing it. He's doing a great job. And I was sitting at a lodge with a group of pastors at an event I was at in South Dakota. And I thought to myself, Three Circle Church is not one of these. It's one of these full of gifted people, full of great, great men and women who want to see the mission of God accomplished. By the way, when you look at this too, for you organized people that are super organized, organization and order are spiritual in nature because they reflect the character of God. Nehemiah was an organizational genius. He knew how to get people in the right spot to do what they were supposed to do, and it got a lot done fast. So don't ever downplay organization and order. Because a lack of order does not reflect God. It really doesn't. And some of you are really good at organization. You know how to do that. That is a gift that God has given you, and it's spiritual. First Corinthians says God's not a God of confusion. If Nehemiah wouldn't have put people in the right spot, that thing wouldn't have gotten done. It's a beautiful, beautiful gift. So we see everybody working together, and you can read the whole chapter But there is a verse in there that reminds me that even Nehemiah had people. Jesus chose a group of 12 and one of them stabbed him in the back. So Nehemiah's got almost everybody working hard. But there's always these among these. And so the Bible tells us in verse 5, Next to them the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles would not stoop to serve their Lord. Now, who knows why? Maybe their kids were playing travel ball. I'm not making any statements there. Mine do. So somebody like, wait, doesn't his? Yeah, I'm just I'm having a little fun here. Who knows what excuse they had for not being willing to stoop and serve. It's just a busy season for us right now in our lives. We just have so much going on. They would not stoop to serve their Lord. Don't you like how Nehemiah describes it? Folks, we should never get to a point where we're not willing to stoop to serve our Lord. Because we should all get to the point we know that what looks like stooping to serve the Lord is actually the greatest honor in the world. We need to move from have to to get to. We get to serve our God. We get to serve him. I'm very excited about the six people who were excited about that. See, a lack of involvement in the mission and work of God's kingdom is actually a posture of arrogance. It's a lack of submission to his authority. My wife and I were a part of planting a church in Florida years ago, and we started it in a movie theater, an abandoned movie theater, and it was in bad, bad shape. So we had this core group of about 30 people that had committed to plant the church, and we all said, hey, we can't, you know, we're a church plant, so we're going to fix this place up ourselves. So we were painting and fixing toilets and just doing hard, dirty work, getting ready for the launch of our little church. 
And so one of the people that was a part of this group, one of the people was a big-time Bible teacher, like kind of known in the area. This person's really a great communicator, great teacher. And I kept noticing as we all kept signing up to work in shifts, people working around the clock. I'm talking people who worked all day would come and work that night at the church. We're getting it ready. But this person never would sign up. And so uh, one day this person showed up while a bunch of us were working in the lobby and I said, really innocently, I said, hey, I've noticed I had not gotten you signed up yet to be on the shift to work with us to get everything ready. And, hey, when can I sign you up? And this person in front of everyone looked at me and said, uh, God did not give me my teaching gift to paint walls, clean floors, and scrub toilets. And as the great poet says, two roads diverged before me in that moment. Because this person also had plenty of money, Okay writing big checks and as a young leader I don't know if I handled it perfectly probably not but I looked at this person and I said well if you can't clean toilets floors and paint walls with us then you're not going to teach the word of God here either you can't do that either that went over really well (laughs) so that person and those big checks walked right out that door and I remember there's a part of me going, I wanted to run down the hall and go, I was just kidding. <laughs> but you know what? I realized as a young leader, when I look back and those people holding their paintbrushes and people standing there, I realized in that moment, the rest of them realized we meant it. We meant it. Right there in that moment, we were really going to do this and we were really all going to get involved. And so I'm grateful for that. <laughs> the last thing that Nehemiah shows us in chapter 3 is that he made it personal for them. Notice in this last few verses that everyone repaired a section of the wall opposite their house. Uh, Hiramoth, next to his house. Uh, Benjamin and Heshub, next to their house. Azariah and Messiah, next to their house. What is Nehemiah doing? This is brilliant. Watch this. Serving should be a personal passion for believers. Serving, write it down, should be a personal passion. Find what your heart longs for and go get it. And use it to the glory of God. And if we do that, we will accomplish so much together. So much together. And I pray today that you would do that in your own life. Jesus, thank you for your word. I pray that you will use it for your glory today. In all of our lives, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.